Hey everyone, welcome to uh, All Things Nerd Podcast. My name is Charles. And this is Eric. Yeah, we are your uh, one-stop shop, All Things Nerdy Podcast. We're going we to uh, be talking about tech stuff, we're going to talk about movies and comics and everything, really. Yeah? So, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so today's uh, topic, I think, is that we've got going is we're going to be talking about our favorite first. Favorite first could be anything, uh, the first installment of a book, series, a movie. A TV show, it could be your fir- our first favorite instance of something, like the TV show we dub as our first favorite, and book series, other things like that, and it could even be a piece of tech, it could be person, so who knows. Yeah, that's definitely a good explanation, and, I, and we're going to focus majority on all these different nerdy topics and narrow down our first favorite. All right, well, Charles, what is your first favorite? So my first favorite is that, that I'm going to do is uh, I, I video games. I love video games. I love Playing video games for quite a while now, and <laughs> I've gotten pretty in depth into them. So definitely, I can like, I can definitely relate. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's definitely a thing. Yes, definitely. Um, we we love the games, gaming. <laughs> so um, my first favorite is gonna have to be Modern Warfare Two. I love the style of the game. I love the uh, campaign of the game. It's, it's a it's an amazing experience to sit down and play some. Some good old fashioned MW2 on the 360. So, um, was it, wasn't that just recently put as a Games for Gold or on the PlayStation Plus, or was that Modern Warfare? So, that was Modern Warfare. So, Modern Warfare, two, Modern Warfare 1, the original, mm-hmm. is currently free downloadable on for PlayStation Plus. Okay. But there is a huge rumor, everyone is super excited about Modern Warfare 2 um, being remastered this generation of games. So there's all these excited concepts about what possibly is going to happen with that. So um, there's talk about the possibility of them, of Infinity War, the original creators, uh, putting out a Modern Warfare 4 and then releasing a remastered version of Modern Warfare 2 with Modern Warfare 4. So that's the rumor going around that that possibly will happen. So and I, you know what, as saying, as one who just uh, decided to do an a old uh, knockback and left out the 360 and play some Modern Warfare 2, I am definitely excited about this one. Still holds far. <laughs> it's still an amazing game. No, I, I definitely remember playing Modern Warfare 2. That was kind of back in my Call of Duty days, like in the kind of prime of things. And um, I definitely remember the storyline from the Modern Warfare game, probably most of anything. But then again, I can't think of a storyline from a modern from a Call of Duty game that's been as good. Oh no, you, <laughs> so, you definitely can't. But uh, so what what is it about Modern Warfare Two specifically? As you know, it is the middle of that, currently the middle of that franchise, notwithstanding Modern Warfare Four being potentially on the horizon. So, <clears throat> what is it about Modern Warfare Two over the other two? In that? Well, so so I've been playing some. I've been playing some Modern Warfare One recently because of PlayStation Plus, and I've gotten back into that, and that was it was a lot of fun, and I definitely I definitely enjoyed it. Um, but my big thing with the Modern Warfare Two was just the the way that they lay the game out, the campaign. It just it was so crisp, and being able to run around Rust on a local multiplayer game with nothing but um, knives and, and combat axes or tomahawks it, it was there's nothing better than that it's just that feel and the nostalgic of it is it's just an incredible game and um, captain price is always a great counterpart to a Modern warfare game um and 
I can honestly tell you the first thing I did, spoiler alert, the first thing that I did when I played Modern Warfare 2 was that you run through the pit, and right at the beginning of the pit, General Shepard is up on a cap, up on a up on a viewing stand, and my first thing I walked in when I walked into the pit, I shot him in the face, and then it, <laughs> then it made me restart because I wasn't allowed to shoot friendly. <laughs> but it was, I definitely love the feel of the game, and the guns are amazing. It just the the way that the firing action works for the weapons, it just and the graphics were really good for its time. It was a it was a great game and it was and the concepts too, the the threat of an imminent EMP that will knock everybody out. All militaries are useless because of this threat. And, and the concept that history is written by the victims is a very, very deep uh, motivation for uh, any it really allows you to feel with the game, and it allows you to realize the importance of what our military does today, and that we need to stand up for what's right. And whether that's whether that's fighting against someone who's of an authority figure or not, we need to stand for what's right and do the right thing. And that really puts you in that spot as uh, Soap in Modern Warfare 2 is really makes you feel for the characters, and it makes you feel for the way that they have to deal with that environment. It, it was a really interesting game. It really is. Okay, well, do you have any um, fun facts and theories, anything that's surrounding Modern Warfare 2? Yeah, it? yeah, I do. So I found this, I found this, somebody, um, uh, what's his name? Um, ABT, AB, ABTARS2000. Um, had a great post on Reddit, and I absolutely love it. He counted every single person that he killed in the entire game, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love it. And it was it was so interesting, and it was very fun to read. And all the security guards and and the no Russian, which is if it came out today, it will be it will be a very controversial mission in today's environment. Um, Especially with all the um, investigations going around our government right now, it, I, if this came out originally right now, it would it it would be very controversial. So it was it was it's a really interesting post that he's got going, and from every single map and and he counted everything in the entire game. So it was just a it was a really interesting post to read, and uh, and so that was it was a lot of fun, and so it was. Everything from uh, the very first mission where he killed 110 militants, uh, 83 Russians on the next one. Um, that was definitely my favorite quest, was running through the store, being completely silent. I, When I just ran the game, I ran that entire mission. I don't know if you remember it all, but it was a uh, mission where you're running through an enemy base. And there's a snowstorm going past, and they can only see you if you're really, really close. Mm-hmm. And so you... You have to sneak all the way through, plant a bomb on the fueling station, and then get over to um, Price in order to gather some intel. And so that, or I don't remember if it's Price or not, but you, uh, so it was a really interesting mission. And so there were 83 Russian soldiers on that entire mission. And so I was able to run that mission without killing anybody, which was amazing and very <laughs> difficult. Well, I can imagine that. <laughs> so. But that was that was a lot of fun, and so I really like this post that he put out, and it and it's it gives you an interesting look at the game itself instead of just it being uh, mission by 
instead of it just being one mission at a time, just the specifics of it being able to have that. Yeah, so yeah, that's all I've got from Mario Bros. 2. I really liked it. It's a really good game. I'm really excited to see them remaster it. And hopefully Infinity War does it justice and it really works hard on it to make it as good as a Generation 4 game can be. So. Yeah, here's hoping. So what about you? What's what's your first favorite? <clears throat> uh, well, I think we're going to stick in the same vein here and we'll stick with video games. Uh, this is the first video, like this is really my first favorite video game. Uh, it's not necessarily my first video game ever, but uh, the first time, the first instance of a favorite game would be Pokemon Crystal. I got a Game Boy Color for my seventh birthday, uh, along with the Pokemon Crystal version, and that was my first full experience with Pokemon. Um, I had cousins with you know red and blue, and I you know play a little bit here and there, um, but this was my real first dive into into Pokemon. And, in general, and I, you know, it's, it's a game series and franch- or franchise that I've been constantly playing for oh, what, eighteen years? <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, and you know, a uh, pretty good topic to start out with here, uh, since you know we're looking for this this fall to be the next, the first in- instance of a full Pokemon RPG on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I'm really which excited I'm about that. really excited for. Uh, we just recently had Pokemon Let's Go, and you know, some people kind of have mixed reactions to that, but. Uh, that's kind of neither here nor there on that, but um, but yeah. So Pokemon Crystal, uh, probably one of my f- my favorite generations is Generation Two, mostly because of this. But um, uh, it's also the only instance where we've been able to go back to a set to a to the first region, um, as well as having a full re- a, the full new region as well. Yeah. So and um, really hoping that that gets brought back. That's a kind of a big thing that everybody wants. It seems uh, a lot of fans want. To be able to go to a different, another region after finishing the initial, you know, not just after you beat the Elite Four, you know, you know, there might be some sort of in-game objective, but not to the same degree that Pokemon Crystal and or Gen Two in general had. Yeah, definitely. I understand that. I I've been playing through Gold again recently, and it, it definitely it's got that. It's it's really interesting how they did that. Yeah, for sure. And um, so like, you've obviously played Gen Two, so yes. so yes. who's 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 your starter of choice? Oh, um, my starter of choice. Oh man, let me remember. It's it was the the grass Pokemon. Chikorita. Chikorita. That's right. Yes, yes. I I like the grass Pokemon because I, I like the challenge because always those first starter Pokemon, the first like the first like batch of Pokemon, there are birds and there's Rattata that you got to run into. And there's a lot of and then you start running into grass type Pokemon, so it gives you a little bit more of a challenge mm-hmm. than just sweeping in there with fire types just to. Murder everything up, <laughs> which is kind of funny because considering like if you chose Bulbasaur in the original games, <laughs> you you were, you were pretty much at a head start Bulbasaur or Squirtle just because you know Brock is your first gym. Yeah. And especially if you chose Bulbasaur because you have Brock, then you have Misty, and that's two things that Rock just or that Grass just destroys. <laughs> yeah, right so, away. It and, gave uh, you good I can't I can't off my head remember the order of the gyms for Gen Two, but uh, my favorite starter throughout that whole thing was. Uh, uh, I think my initial playthrough when I was little was probably Cyndaquil. <laughs> just because, you know, it's hard for you know, a seven-year-old to, to resist the fire type. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, as I've gotten older, like, a Totodile has been my go-to for Gen 2. Totodile, when I played, when I played it the first time, Totodile was my, was, my, was my go-to. And it was definitely, for a long time, it's been my favorite Pokemon. Because that was, the Crystal was uh, Gold was the first one yeah. that I played. And I absolutely loved it. You know, by the way, did you did you know that uh, Gen Two was supposed to be the last instance of Pokemon? 
uh, Satoru Iwata once in, a, in an interview gave the details that they didn't realize the Pokemon franchise was going to be as popular as it turned out to be. So their plan was to make Gen 2 and then just abandon the and abandon the property. Well, thank goodness they did. Yeah, I know. Thank, <laughs> thank God they did. But that was just kind of a fun fun fact that I found. I was like, that they were initially didn't think this was going to be a big thing. But I mean, uh, the the Pokemon company has definitely been proven wrong on many occasions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was a big one, and then the most recently is when the Switch was announced. They weren't planning a Switch. They weren't planning a Switch release because they didn't think the Switch was going to be a popular system. And here we are, and the Switch is outselling the PS4 and the Xbox One, and it's, you know, it's in its third year of production. Okay. And, and so, so the, the Switch is quickly becoming, you know, probably the most purchased system. And it has, a, a, at, least, at least by the rate of purchase, you know, considering, I mean, PlayStation and Xbox have had, what, five, six years? I think now? five and a half. Five and a half, it's... it's 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 around that point in time, so it's you know, kind of a thing. Also, another fun fact that I found: um, originally, you know, the the first town you start out with in Engine Two is Newbark City or or Newbark Town, and originally it was supposed to be called Silent Hills. Silent Hills, the Pokemon game. No, the the town, the, the starting town, oh, okay, was supposed gotcha. to be called Silent Hills. Well, they they changed that because uh, the Pokemon Crystal or the Pokemon the Gen Two Pokemon games came out in uh, November of 1999. Well. The first Silent Hill movie came out in January, so they changed the name mid-development <laughs> so that it wouldn't be confused, or well, so that they wouldn't have the uh, I guess stigma attached to a horror movie about you know a town called Silent Hill. Yeah, so no, I get that. so I mean I can kind of I can understand it, and uh, you know, there's typically a lot of uh, you know what uh, superstition involved in Japan. Japan's a very superstitious yeah, uh, country, definitely. and so. I can I can understand where they're probably coming from. I just kind of found that and thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely I think that's that's actually really cool. I did not know that fact about it. That's actually really a really neat thing. Yeah, that's really cool. All so, right, well that's pretty much all I have for for Pokemon. I mean, I think everybody pretty much knows about Pokemon so much at this point. It's been it's been such a staple of the gaming household for years. Like, yeah, I know people who don't even really consider themselves gamers. They play Pokemon. Like that's, yeah, like one it's, way or another. Yeah, whether it's Pokemon Go or it's, or it's mm. old Game Boy Color. Yeah. And even, I mean, yeah, Pokemon Go has definitely made a huge <laughs> uptick in the number of Pokemon fans out there. And Because it's just so much easier if you have a game right there on your phone. Oh, yeah. You don't have to deal with an emulator and stuff like that. And you get to do it while you explore. And it's, it's I, I'm not surprised in well, our parents, I'm sure, were okay with it, too, because, hey, get your kids out of the house. <laughs> Anything to get them mm-hmm. out there instead of in the house. Which which is probably what the, the big motivator for Pokemon Let's Go was, since it's a lot tied into Pokemon Go with the action of catching and stuff like that, and it was kind of a way to bridge the gap between the people who got into the Pokemon franchise because of Pokemon Go and trying to kind of bridge that gap between this and now the next mainline Pokemon RPG will be coming out. And so, you know, that's going to sell systems. And obviously when Nintendo prospers, Pokemon company is going to prosper. That was definitely a symbiotic relationship. So, but all right. Well, so, so what's, what do you have next on your list here for favorite first? So, so my favorite, my next favorite first. Okay. The scary movie. Now I'm going to tell you now, um, I hate scary movies. I hate them (laughs) so much. I'm not a scary movie fan. Well, see, like, I've, I've slowly gotten more into scary movies as I've gotten older. I used to, like, just crap my pants. Like, when I, anytime, <laughs> like, when I was little, 
uh, Chucky from Child's Play scared the absolute crap out of me. Like, like enough to where my parents to this day still try to like mess with me by going like Chucky. I'm like, I'm like, okay, mom, you can simmer down now. Like, that's, <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't know why, why you're still on this. I was six. Like, come on. Okay. <laughs> like, it's over. It's over. <laughs> No, that's that's really funny. So so okay. So I still don't like scary movies. I never have. Um, I've recently watched Child's Play. Actually, I'm Child's Play. I haven't. It's been a. It was probably I want to say about two months ago. I got my wife convinced me to watch it. It was a great movie. Absolutely loved it. Um, I I literally sat there the whole time making fun of it, and she kept Charlie, stop it. <laughs> Let's just watch the movie. <laughs> no, but it was. It was a it was a really good it was a really fun um, movie to watch. But okay, so my favorite first, my first scary movie. Okay, uh, if you right now go on Reddit and you type in best Stephen King movie, you will find a post on there where it is a discussion of the top five best and bottom worst Stephen King films. This guy. Uh, Grinch forty three forty one put a list of he he analyzed it he has his top five best his top five worst the very first comment of this post um, number one the best maximum overdrive number two the worst maximum overdrive what it is <laughs> the best there's some there's ever. some contradicting opinions here <laughs> it's the same guy no he knows what he's talking about no so maximum overdrive. Is a movie by Stephen King. It's based off the movie, uh, the book Trucks, um, and it is, it is absolutely incredible. And so the concept of this movie is there is a comet flying around the Earth that messes with the sends an electromagnetic symbol and brings all of the electronics alive in the world. Huh. So so after this happens, there is a there is a a stream of of scenes through this neighborhood where all these electronics have come alive to murder their their human overlords, and it is amazing. And there's a scene where there's a, a guy ran, half ran over by a lawnmower. There's a scene where this chick has her, has her face <clears throat> burned off by a hair dryer she was using. Now I don't know how the hair dryer would move her arm to her face, but you know, whatever. Just just move the hair dryer away. <laughs> it definitely kinda of sounds like a mix of like the happening, final destination, and toy soldiers. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like this is alright, and this is this is a Stephen King book called Trucks. Stephen King book called Trucks. I'll have to ask my dad about that. He's a big Stephen King fan, so he's read like all of his books. I'll have to ask him about that one. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> the movie came out in nineteen eighty six. And it was it was absolutely terrible, and I loved it so much. And when I watched it, I didn't even see the horror in it. I was just like, "This is awesome! I want this." <laughs> so, so the whole movie is just these this group of people that are stuck in a gas station. Trucks are coming to them, and they need fuel. Well, they can't get it for themselves because they don't have arms. So they uh, are. They have so a, they're sparing these people in the gas station. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. So there's a military truck comes out. This little military vehicle that has the that knows Morse code. You know, military. He knows Morse code. <laughs> so he uses Morse code. 
episode to to speak with the humans because thankfully someone in the gas station has barked him. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, so they can tell them we will scare you if you get us. <laughs> and so obviously the kings of the truck world are gigantic huge semis, which are great and and freaking Optimus Prime just rolls up. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. So it was it was a really awesome movie and this guy's post and th- this guy's comment one hundred and ten percent depicts exactly everyone's feelings on that movie. This is both the best and the worst movie in history. And I absolutely love it. And I it is worth the recommendation. I, I might have to check this one out. <laughs> it's absolutely great. I need to find it. Maybe we can do a um, a uh, we can do a uh, one night when we just watch it together. It's definitely worth it. And then we can come back and you can tell the people how you feel about this amazing movie. <laughs> so. Oh, man. That is... All right. Yeah, no. <laughs> that, that's it, that, right? sound, that sounds ridiculously absurd, but could be awesome. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> it was awesome. I can definitely tell you without a doubt. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. So what's your what's your number two? Um. Well, none of these are particularly in any order. And uh, I don't really have a movie, so um, I guess we'll go. Uh, I, I'm a, I, I'd consider myself a pretty big anime fan, uh, but I've only been into anime probably since um, oh, since my freshman year of college or sophomore year of college. So back in like 2011, 2012, probably, and um, uh, all because of a, a friend of mine that I had made in college. He introduced me to the first series that I ever watched, and that's what kind of got me down this rabbit hole. And it was a Full Metal Alchemist. This is definitely one of my favorites, and this is probably one that I uh, religiously watch at least once a year. And, I, and this isn't necessarily a, one that's uh, a huge time investment. It's not like you know Naruto, Bleach, or any of the other ones that are ongoing or have 500 plus episodes. So you know, it's I think 72 episodes for Brotherhood and like 54 for the original. Uh, and it was split. And it was uh, two separate series they did. One uh, uh, because of during the point in time when the manga was still being written in Japan, uh, the original, and then a few years later, it was done again as Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood uh, because of the, the popularity of the series, and this time they stuck more to the manga as the manga was now finished, so they had a lot more source material to work for. And uh, But yeah, this is kind of one of my favorite things. Uh, definitely takes a lot from both Eastern and Western culture, as well as some different uh, you know, mysticism. Obviously, it's alchemy, so it kind of takes into some of that. So. Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's I, I've seen a couple episodes myself. I haven't watched the full thing, but I have been really enjoy it. It's really interesting, um, the concepts that they throw into the thing. Um, so what's, what, what about it really appealed to you, your nerdiness, to this specific thing? Um, <clears throat> well, I like... I'm really big into history. I love history stuff. I listen to you know, historical documentaries all the time, um, and I, li- I just like to know fun things. Well, this has a lot, takes a lot, where the the uh, author, Hiromi Arakawa, um, she did a lot of research into you know World War II, because a lot of this, a lot of the things, tropes, and uh, depictions are taken almost directly from World War II. Uh, the uh, Amestrians, which is, uh, I don't know how much of it you know about, the Amestris is the main country, was the, is the, uh, centerpiece for the storyline and their government. Well, the government and the Amestrians themselves is based on uh, World War II Nazi Germany. Um, and they definitely show that with, you know, the skin tone, their 
blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, white people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so very uh, kind of Nazi Germany esque, and even um, King Fuhrer King Bradley is um, very Hitler esque and in you know, his depiction and whatnot. But um, another kind of fun things, uh, she def- she uh, for references for the military weapons, she pretty much took all of, like World War German World War II weapons. That was her reference. And so almost all the guns that you see in the in the in the uh, in the show are you know German World War II era guns. So um, that's kind of a fun thing. Another fun one um, kind of fact that I found out about this is the uh, there's a people in the in, in this country that they've been kind of annexed into this country. And a big center point of the plot line is the Ishvalan Civil War, where the state alchemists, the military and the state alchemists came in and were basically trying to wipe out these people. Uh, and the conflict between the Ishvalans and the Mestrians is based on a, an actual conflict in Japanese history uh, between the uh, Ainu people and the Wajin, who are the ethnic Japanese. Uh, the, the Wajin were trying, basically, for forcing assimilation of the Ainu people. Uh, being forced to uh, intermarry, interbreed into the Wajin people. And they were essentially, it's kind of a humane genocide where they were trying to just erase their heritage and culture by just erasing their gene pool and, wow. and diluting it. And uh, so that's kind of where this kind of comes from, forced assimilation and trying to erase their culture and heritage. Uh, so that's, that, was, that was her basis for that. Um, she also did a lot of re- research into Eastern and Western alchemy. Uh, but one of my favorite things, it's not really history related, uh, but just about the show in general, is uh, the depiction of strong female lead. And, and a lot of times in anime especially, you have a trope of the damsel in distress, you might have the big-breasted, you know, cutesy love interest who isn't original. You see that same trope in every shonen anime. Well, in this one, uh, she definitely wanted to focus on stronger female characters. Uh, one of her quotes is, she, be- she believed that creating damsels in distress or unoriginal love interests was a waste of time. So that's why we ended up with characters like Izumi Curtis, who uh, and all these all these characters have a lot of have different, very different roles. Um, like Izumi Curtis is a housewife. She is also a teacher. She's Ed and Al's teacher. She's the first one to teach them alchemy. She's also the first person to attempt human transmutation, which is the big taboo of the world, and this is kind of where things uh, take off. And and it it, it it rolls back into the into the main story of the plot line, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody out there, because, I mean, if you haven't watched Full Metal, go watch Full Metal. Even if you're not an anime fan, I recommend it. It's a very good story. Uh, then you have, like, Olivier Armstrong. She is this hard, hard-nosed hard general of the North. You know, she doesn't take crap from anybody. And she's set up as the further for a metrics. A metrics. Uh, like, her goal is to lead the country back to where she thinks it needs to be and uses pretty much all the tools at her disposal, including her feminine wiles, to uh, you know weasel her way into the upper command and then take it over from the inside. Uh, then you have Winry Rockbell, who is a brilliant engineer and is you know she builds mechanical prosthetics called Automail, and uh, she is Ed's uh, personal Automail engineer because he lost both his arm and leg. Uh, when he when they tried to bring back their mother and then subsequently had to bond his brother's soul to a piece of armor. Uh, then you have Reza Hawkeye, who is kind of, I guess, probably the most generic of them, uh, but she is a dead shot sniper. <laughs> like, uh, she doesn't miss. And uh, she's also the only one that Colonel Mustang feels he can trust to shoot him in the back if he gets distracted. 
So, and these are all very interesting characters, and these aren't typical roles you see women play in most anime. Uh, so it was, I mean, considering this was, you know, early 2000s, um, definitely kind of on the forefront of things in, in a sense. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I really like the way that she was able to step out of the norm and bring forward to this fem- this strong female character. Like it's a it's a common common trope to have female characters as love interests or as damsel in distress. Like you said, it's just it's really it's really nice to see a change from that. And and I really I, I really like that. All right, everyone, we're gonna we're taking a quick break and we'll be right back with some more nerd nerd things. Yeah. All right, everyone, welcome back uh, to all things nerd. Uh, so to start with. Um, I'm going to do a little segment um, that I like to call Marvel, 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 Marvel. Okay. So, so we're going to talk about... It's very original. Very original. Talk, yeah, I didn't know what else to call it. So it's marvelous. Mar- ah, marvelous. Okay. So, so we're going to talk about Marvel. So I'm this little segment, I'm just going to bring it to your guys' attention. I don't know if you guys have heard about it or checked it out, but there's some of the news going on in the Marvel world just because of Endgame coming up and all this crazy, crazy stuff, and maybe after Endgame, if it's not as much news, we're gonna, well, change this segment to Marvel, 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 DC. So, hey, hey, <laughs> don't diss on DC. <laughs> I'm not dissing on DC. I just say right now, nobody cares about DC. <laughs> so sad but true. Sad but true. We'll, exactly. we'll see what happens when Shazam comes out. Oh man, it's a germ. Oh man. Okay, so that's what it's called now. We're just gonna do both. Marvel, 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 DC. So, starting with some Marvel news, um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but Guardians of the Galaxy, um, so Marvel, or Disney, fired a while ago um, James Gunn, the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy series, James Gunn, sorry. Let's say, I thought you were getting that. Yeah, (laughs) sorry. The director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, one and two, uh, there was a rumor going around that he got fired a while ago. He did indeed get fired. But secretly, apparently, it has been announced that secretly he was rehired for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It currently has a 2021 release date, um, theoretically. Uh, but then that whole happened, so we don't know exactly the status anymore. But he is rehired, so our favorite... Um, uh, our favorite uh, Marvel director, one of my favorites. I really like him. <laughs> no offense to the Fighting Brothers, <laughs> but I love I love James Gunn. He did a great job with Guardians of the Galaxy one and two. I really think that three is going to be just as good. Um, who knows? Maybe Adam Warlock's going to be in this one. Um, and either oh, it's probably because they they did that whole. I don't know if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy two. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well at the end the Post-credit scene with the um, with them showing the sarcophagus of Adam Warlock. Right. Uh, so hopefully, so that's that, that, that's probably what's going to happen during his going three three. So that'll be really cool. Who knows if he's going to be good or bad because um, Adam Warlock in the comic books has a history of being sort of an anti-hero, kind of just does whatever he pleases, and whether that's good or bad. He's um, space pool, right? Space pool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He does whatever the fuck he. But he's super crazy powerful, so he can't. Um, and so he's in the comic books. He's also in Infinity War. But Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is coming after, so that's 
probably not going to have him in Infinity War. Who knows? He might be in there. Doubt. We'll just so, have <laughs> Captain Marvel and Adam Warlock, you know, <laughs> kicking the crap out of Thanos. Yeah, well, but in, in the comic books, Adam Warlock was one of the few people who was actually helped, actually um, used the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, he's one of the few people who did, and he kind of did whatever he wanted with it, because he came. So um, it was kind of interesting. Um, so James Gunn, good to hear him. He's back. Really liked him. A lot of Captain Marvel stuff, which was interesting. Captain Marvel had the... <laughs> there's, a, there's an article out there from the New York Times that says, Captain Marvel has the best, has the year's best opening weekend. This year, it's March. Yeah, that's not not saying a whole (laughs) lot. That's not saying anything at all. (laughs) Although, did did I see something that it was the highest, or highest grossing opening weekend for a movie with a female, like a hero movie with a female lead? Or or was that, was that something else? I I don't know, I'll have to look that up. I, I just know that part, that. It was indeed the highest grossing weekend of the year, but that doesn't really right. That doesn't doesn't do much with in, uh, in March when we still have in in game coming out and everything else coming out this year, so yeah. <laughs> that we may or may not know about. So you know, yeah, no, it's hey, it's got blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it's so it was it was a good movie. Um, how did you feel about it? I really liked it. I it was uh, one of one of the more entertaining ones. I mean, I'm. I enjoy the movies and I enjoy the Marvel uh, universe. I'm a bit more of a DC person, uh, just for some of the aesthetics and some of the storylines through the comics and stuff. But um, and even then, I'm still not much of a comic book superhero guy. Uh, but I did really enjoy this one for sure. I, I I enjoyed the '90s throwbacks, all of them. You know, I definitely called the that they were gonna when she asked about the communications equipment, and then the guy pointed and I was like, it's gonna be a Radio Shack, and lo and behold, it was Radio Shack. <laughs> And uh, but I definitely enjoyed all of the uh, the '90s references. I enjoyed her. I, I enjoyed Brie Larson's performance a lot. Uh, her very snarky attitude was was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, obviously Samuel L. Jackson fawning over a cat was probably one of the most magical moments in movie history. See, I've been I've been listening to all these these critics and all these people who are so upset about everything with Captain Marvel, and it just it frustrated me so much. And because people bat, were bashing it so much. So they were saying things like, well, there was, Nick Fury said, the last time that I trusted someone, I lost it. Well, everyone's like, but he lost it from a cat. Well, He, he trusted, trusted that cat. cat. He like, trusted that cat so hard. <laughs> everyone was bashing it so hard. He trusted that cat 100%. I, I still and, believe that cat is in his office. Like, we just haven't seen it throughout the other movies, but it's just hanging out. It's just office. hanging out. Well, it's like, it, Goose is in his office. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's got a little drawer in and Nick Fury made a little bed inside the drawer for him. <laughs> no, I'm sure he is. So um, once he comes back from being dust, because we all know nobody's staying dead. Like it's just not going to happen. But uh, once he comes back, I, we don't see him like at some point in time down the road with a pet carrier, and <laughs> we don't know what's in the pet carrier, but we all know what's in that pet carrier. I'm gonna be upset. <laughs> I really want him walking through the airport with my carrier. <laughs> Nothing would make me. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's this um, New York Times um, article. Um, is the it says Captain Marvel is the first film in the franchise dedicated to the story of female superhero, which is baloney. Um, well, I guess in this franchise, no, in, that's true. In, in the Mar- in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah, it is true. because they haven't given Black okay, Widow yeah. a movie, they haven't given Scarlet Witch a movie. 
But, I mean, it is not the first superhero movie with a female lead, but it is the first in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With that is true. That is true. So it's saying that um, Captain Marvel uh, brought in 50 million more than one. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, believe, I, I believe that. I mean, a lot of people were turned off on the DC movies after the Batman vs. Superman and yeah. and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, but Wonder Woman on its own is a fantastic movie. It I is. love that movie. But I, I, I definitely believe that. I, I called that Mar that Captain Marvel was going to bring in more money. There was no way it wasn't. Uh, just after just after some of the fiascos that they've put out with the DC movie universe, and which makes me so sad. And I'm really hoping they get back on track with it. And I'm hoping Shazam does really well. Early critic reviews of Shazam have been very positive. I only have one thing so, to say about DC and the movie Aquaman. I still haven't seen Aquaman yet. What? I haven't had time. What? I, so uh, that that's on my list. I I'm I've got oh. I've got it. We're probably gonna rent it sometime soon. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. I'll rent Aquaman and watch it. So but hey, I've if, heard I've heard it's pretty good. If so. it is digitally available, I'll buy it and we can watch it all. Yeah. <laughs> I love Aquaman. We're gonna buy it anyways. I'm definitely down for watching Aquaman. Which is funny because like you you would think me of all people would have seen that movie because Aquaman and Shazam are my two favorite superheroes of all time, and um, which is. I know people give me crap about it all the time because you know Aquaman has the stigma from you know super friends <laughs> yeah. and being being absolutely useless, but Aquaman's a freaking beast. Yeah. And then Shazam is just awesome because it's it's a teenager or younger, depending on which uh, timeline you're going with, uh, than Billy Batson. So, uh, but uh, I'm mean, I'm definitely excited for the Shazam movie. I'm going to make an effort to go see that one in theaters. I think Aquaman just fell at such a weird time in theaters that I just never got around to being able to see it. Yeah. Time wise, but uh, no, but I'm excited with with Shazam without a doubt. We are gonna go see it and without a doubt, and we will the next section of the podcast that we have, we're gonna immediately talk all about. Mm-hmm. It'll definitely part of be a part of the Marvel, 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 Marvel. So. <laughs> for <laughs> so, sure. I'm gonna do a different amount of Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah, definitely. I think that uh, Captain Marvel um, had a lot of uh, a lot of critics were all over it. It was, and there were a lot of things that were kind of iffy, and a lot of people were questioning some stuff, and a lot of retconning and things like that that were interesting. But I think that I think that all in all, because it's a Marvel movie, everyone still saw it. Oh yeah, and and that's part of the thing is that right now Disney, Marvel, or whatever. They they have the ability to make a movie that's terrible, but it's because it's the Marvel. They're gonna everyone's gonna go see it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, but I think that they did a good enough job with Captain Marvel that they're not. That's not what's being said about it. So I think that they did a good enough job that it's still holding to um, with the rest of the Marvel. So it was definitely one of the more fun ones I've watched in a while. Um, like. Um... Probably since Guardians too, like as far as like fun factor, just you know yeah. the, the comedic aspect and stuff like that. And I, I love some of the things they did, just kind of cinematically. I love the the beginning because I was super confused for like the first twenty minutes of the movie. And <laughs> but but then and, and a lot of movies will do that where they'll just make you like you like you're trying to catch you up on something that's happened and like as if you should kind of know it, but you don't, and you know, just kind of have that frustrated like what the hell's going on kind of attitude. And that's what I had. And then I realized that's the same attitude that she has. So they're just connecting you to the protagonist of the movie by making you feel just as confused as she is, because she's getting all those you're getting all those images at the same time she is, and yeah. like connecting the dots to her memory. 
That makes sense. So, so I, I really kind of appreciated how they did that. I thought that was pretty fun. Even though, even though for the first 20 minutes of the movie, I was like, what in the world is going on in this movie? <laughs> like, but, no, uh, but now looking back, I really appreciate it. I always, I always fear that whenever I go see a movie with someone who hasn't seen it, I'm always afraid that when I go see one of the Marvel movies with someone who hasn't read the comic books, that I'm going to sit there the whole time and explain, well, or after the movie, and they're going to be like, well, that doesn't even make any sense. Why did he do that? Well, because in the comic books, he did, and that's exactly how he does things. And so, and and then they're all like, oh, well, I get that. So that's always one of my frustrating, one of my frustrations with comic book movies or superhero movies is that fear of whether or not they're going to give you enough, inf- the person enough information exactly. to be able to connect the dots without exactly. them having to have a bunch of previous. Exactly, exactly, and that's a very frustrating. Like, and, and like, I'm not, I, I haven't read many much of Marvel comics because I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't read a whole lot of comics. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'll say as Charles is like looking through his bookshelf here trying to find <laughs> comics. But uh, I, I've, I've never been much of a comic book person. My dad, on the other hand, collected comics like crazy when he was little and has all kinds of stuff from like Richie Rich to Marvel to DC to Transformers. There's all kinds of stuff from like the mid-70s and whatnot. But um, yeah, I'm not much of a comic book guy, but I do know enough uh, through um, friends who are big into the comic stuff. So I, you know, I hear theories. I listen to YouTube, uh, uh, the Carlin Brothers and, and whatnot. And and get all this kind of, I get up my information kind of secondhand instead of me reading stories. But, um, uh, but I, I definitely feel like I go into things knowing enough to get me by. And then if I have questions, I wait until later and be like, okay, so hey, is this a thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, but that, that's kind of the way of, but I've definitely been to movies with people who like just constantly ask questions throughout the whole damn movie about, the motivations of the character. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to get into that. That's like an hour long conversation. <laughs> like, like, but no. uh, uh, especially on movies like, because I more than so than comic books, I read book books, <laughs> and then I go see movies that are based on books, and so, and usually it just see, leaves me sitting there in a theater just fuming because I'm mad <laughs> and angry about about whatever movie it is I just saw because it's they did unspeakable things to that movie. You know when they had the source material readily available. Yeah, no, definitely. But, um, but uh, that's probably a podcast session for another thing. But uh, so I could go on and on about uh, probably like three or four different instances <laughs> of uh, um, movie movie adaptations of books that uh, just pissed me off. Player one. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ready, yeah, we won't even talk about Ready Player One. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Somebody's so. Salty. So what else? What else you got for this segment here? Is that, uh, is that no, kind of I wrapping think, it up? Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's a lot of the news is just Marvel, um, Captain Marvel, and everyone's getting pumped and excited about Infinity War. I mean, Endgame. Sorry, yep. my bad. I'm we already got thinking. pumped for that. That was no, last year. Been there, done that. Yep. So, but Endgame, everyone's really excited about it. But um, and they came out with the second trailer. The I did. I, I did. Trailer. I did see that. It was gotcha. great. It was good. good yeah. Trailer. It was really intense and. Because cause there's all this, everyone, I'm sure everyone knows this, but they pulled all the information, all the video from the trailer, from the, from all the trailers, from the same eight seconds. Mm-hmm. They had eight seconds to pull all this video. And so that's why they, they had to, they had all these flashbacks in the trailer in order to create two and a half minutes of, of, of trailer. Of trailer. Versus, <laughs> because what, was, was, it, was it they said that, was it the first 16 seconds or the first 16 minutes of the movie that they couldn't, they weren't pulling any footage from the trailer? I don't know. At all. I didn't even hear that. I, I think, so, I think some, somebody somebody told me that. Someone said that they were 
they stated that they were only pulling material from the first 16 minutes of the movie for the trailers, which that's the case. I have some questions, but there's going to be a lot of fast progression. <laughs> yeah. Like considering, you know, Tony's lost in space, but then there's Tony. Like, you know, well, I, they didn't, they didn't do that for this one because they, they definitely, with this trailer, it's very obvious. You could tell um, the expressions but, but of what, people's hair. It's just from their hair. Right, alone. but there was that one shot of them all walking together in Nebula and Tony. Yes. Are in that well, there's a lot of fast progression in 16 minutes for sure them to be lost was, in space to <laughs> I'm pretty, I I don't know for a fact but I'm sure that's got to be um that 16 minutes had to be from the first trailer because maybe I there's I cannot see any instance where they would pull that much uh information from the 16 minutes for 16 minutes. You know, that's ridiculous. You know, I like I like how we wrap it up this segment and then we just kind of cycle back I'm into sorry, the I'm segment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> wrap up the segments. On to the next one. What's your favorite first? Okay. Uh, well, you know, we're going to kind of stay in the same vein of superheroes, I guess. Um, but uh, maybe not necessarily ones that everybody's super familiar with. But uh, my first favorite TV series, and it is still one of my favorite TV series, as I've been keeping up with it for the last, uh, oh, 26 years, is uh, Power Rangers. is a, a big part of my life. <laughs> um I uh, began watching Mighty Morphin as, you know, four or five-year-old. A wee lad. <laughs> as, as a wee lad. And um, uh, I remember the days when my uh, my dad would build me a literally a cardboard rocket ship. And I would sit inside. Awesome. It, it was like a little like cardboard house, but it was a rocket ship oh, with, a win- with a window. And I'd sit in here on like Saturday, you know, mid-afternoon when they were playing reruns of Power Rangers with my little wooden stool. And a plate of pizza rolls, and there I'd watch go. and I'd watch Power Rangers right after my mom was done watching uh, "Touched by an Angel" or something like that, <laughs> like on, on TV. Zell Reese. <laughs> so, so, uh, so uh, it was definitely one of my more fond memories, and it's uh, been one that stuck with me for a long time. And um, and to this day, I still collect uh, Power Rangers toys and other memorabilia and, and things like that. And it's uh, uh, thankfully I have a fiance that uh. Uh, doesn't hate my collection and my <laughs> hobbies because she lets me uh, decorate the whole living room of our apartment in Power Rangers. We have uh, my whole collection uh, surrounding the TV on the Entertainment Center, uh, which is pretty sizable, as Charles well knows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just got bigger yesterday. I got like three more things. And then, um, oh, wow. uh, yep, and then uh, we did a 3,000-piece puzzle that I totally helped with. Uh, that is... No, he did it. <laughs> Don't tell my fiance that. <laughs> um, uh, that uh, we have framed above our couch on the back wall, and uh, so uh, <laughs> luckily I can uh, enjoy my hobbies without having to hide them away. <laughs> um, but uh, Power Rangers in general has kind of an interesting history. It's uh, you know started in 1993 and it's still going. Uh, it has changed hands a couple times. I don't know if you've known that. Um, uh, Saban um, Media was one who started it and they brought it over. And um, started you know, producing it in 1993, or they started production in 1992, and uh, 1993 it aired. Um, and then in 2003, it changed hands to the Walt Disney Company. So uh, your favorite House of Mouse owned uh, owned the, the Power Rangers for a while, and they did that for about seven years. And then, then it went back to Saban Media in 2010. And then last year, in a deal $522 million, they sold it to Hasbro. All the rights. That's right. Yeah. And um, 
And uh, so far, uh, the the most the the current season just started a couple weeks ago, and uh, so far has been a kind of a fresh uh, breath of fresh air uh, for the series. Because the last uh, three to four years have been pretty crap, but but um, so things are looking up, and uh, uh, the quality of the the toys that they've shown off have been seems to be really good as we've been declining steadily since like the early 2000s. But um, but uh current stuff's kind of neither here nor there. I want to kind of focus on the the original series, Mighty Morphin. Uh, kind of a little bit of backstory is Haim Saban is an Israeli-American businessman. He was born in Alexandria, Egypt. I don't know if anybody knows this. Uh, but he kind of had an interesting career. He served in his early 20s in the Israeli army. He uh, then was a bass player uh, for, a, for a band and then decided that he was not very good at the bass and became, <laughs> and became their manager, which is kind of where he got into media. Uh, and he started, you know, become, he became a tour promoter and was uh, really instrumental in helping get acts like Ray Charles to, um, uh, over to Israel in like the mid-70s or 60s and 70s because he was, uh, or, yeah, probably about that because he was born in 1944. So in the mid-60s, you know, he was, yeah. uh, you know, helping get acts like big acts over to Israel. Um, and then in 1984, he took a trip to Japan working with another music group and was in his hotel room and flipped on the TV. And uh, what was playing was an episode of uh, the uh, uh, Super Sentai. Now, what, for those of you who don't know, Super Sentai is the Japanese um, version of Power Rangers that Power Rangers is based on. Um, usually it's a team of you know five to five or more, um, or even sometimes even three or more. Uh, you know, people who you know, have special powers—they morph into these spandex suits with cool helmets and giant <laughs> robots—and and they beat up and they beat up on and they beat up on monsters. Uh, well, he he saw it and he's like, "This is awesome!" You know, I, I I would like to try to do this. So he what he did is he you know wrote his own um, kind of storyboard as pilot. Uh, he bought the rights to some of the action footage from the Super Sentai series, and then brought it over to America. And for about eight years, uh, was picked kept pitching it to different uh, studios until finally in 1992 he broke it a deal with Fox Kids to uh to air his uh his kind of monstrosity of a uh, hacked together show um and it was just kind of from there it took off and toy sales were huge um and it just kind of prospered and then um let's see here and and for those who don't know the original Mighty Morphin is actually a mix of three different Japanese series that have nothing in correlation with each other what? Yep, <laughs> they uh, it's a mix of uh, Zoo Ranger, Die Ranger, and Kaku Ranger, and those all three have completely different themes, different casts, and are basically set in different dimensions. If you kind of want to think of it in that way, because a lot of the Super Sentai doesn't really cross over. Um, there are instances, I think, uh, though I'm not huge into Super Sentai, but um, yeah, what they did is they took the suits from the Zoo Ranger Super Sentai. And then they use they use the original robots or the Megazords for uh, those who do know what I'm talking about uh, from Z Ranger for the original like for the first season the second season they switched to the Die Ranger Megazords or the robots but uh but they kept still kept the same suits except for the uh, White Ranger uh, he went switched from green to white and that was the White Ranger was for Die Ranger and uh, and then after that. Uh, when they needed more power, they went to the Kaku Ranger robots, but they still kept the same suits. So they kept the same suits from one Sentai and used robots from three different, from two others at kind of in progression until they decided finally to adapt uh, Power Ranger Zeo from uh, 
the Super Sentai O-Ring. And, uh, and, and, you know, some, some of these over, over the years have been, um, oh, they take the themes from something, uh, whether it's dinosaurs, cars, space, um, different things. And sometimes the American stuff matches up perfectly as far as the theme. Other times they don't. And sometimes it works better in the American's favor. Um, one of, after uh, Power Rangers Turbo, which was like the fifth season, fifth rendition of season of Power Rangers, was uh, kind of a big flop here in the U.S. And Power Rangers was starting to kind of decline. And they were they kind of only geared up for one more season, which was Power Rangers in Space. And what they kind of did differently is they did a lot more American footage for In Space than anything else they'd done previously. And uh, it actually worked out better. The villain was an Ameri- was was an American made villain. And um, it, and space is still considered probably one of the best series of of the franchise, mm-hmm. and it saved the franchise. Wow. <laughs> yep. So, and there's been a couple different instances where we've uh, been on the on the brink of collapse, and uh, but uh, it always seems to jump back, and so I'm pretty grateful for that. Uh, but some other kind of fun facts. Um, uh, I don't know how many of people out there are Breaking Bad fans. Charles, are you a Breaking Bad? Yes, fan? I am. Indeed. Uh, and you know. Brian Cranston is the lead, and he recently played Zordon in the 2017 Power Rangers movie. Interesting, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No, I yeah, didn't know. Uh, he, he played Zordon in the, in the 2017 live action, or I guess it doesn't mean it's all live action, but in the, in the, <laughs> in the 2017 adaptation movie. Um, That's cool. And he did pretty good in that. It was an interesting role, but uh, he actually has a lot deeper of a history with Power Rangers. One of his first, some of his like early acting stuff, he was uh, he played a lot of like the um, costumed monsters in the original Power Rangers series. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. And uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I uh, he did so many of them. I can't. He did like a kind of a snake lizard. I think it was called the Snizzard or something like that. He did he did a bunch. Uh, but that was he was kind of doing like freelance acting at that point in time, and so he uh, he suited up for a lot of those. And also during the production, early production for when they were trying to search for a name for the Blue Ranger, uh, they ended up stealing Brian Cranston's last name. So uh the, oh, so really? so yeah, the the Blue Ranger's name is Billy Cranston and they got that because uh Brian Cranston was on set that day and like, "Hey, we like your last name. We're going to use that." Okay, so I'm looking at a picture of Brian Cranston in a Power Rangers villain and he plays a a metal diamond steel looking guy with a sword and then yeah, like Slizzard. Yeah. He's Slizzard. He, he looks like a skinny version of Godzilla. With snakes as well. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> and his arms. Oh no, his arms are lizards. Are snakes too? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Power Rangers kind of has some interesting connections with things. Um, the uh, the second rendition of the Black Ranger, who is played by Johnny Young Bosch, um, and a lot of anime fans out there probably know that Johnny Young Bosch has done a lot of voice acting for different animes and other. Um, uh, animated series um so he's a very well-versed actor uh you know some of them you know not not all go on to big things um one of my favorites um the yellow ranger from power rangers rpm um for those who know of the show uh i zombie from uh the cw yeah yeah she live more was the yellow ranger for rpm which is also one of the best power ranger series that's really cool yeah he was in uh Bleach. Uh, this is Johnny Johnny Hawkeye. Yep. Bleach, Bleach, Akira, Mighty Morphin, and Devil May Cry Four. Oh yep. man, I love that game. 
<laughs> yep, he's he's done a lot. He's done a lot of voice acting for a lot of things. And I'm actually here in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna get his autograph because he's gonna be at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. Oh, there you go. Shout and, out to Planet Comic Con. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Planet Comic Con. They're not paying us or anything. So, but uh, so free promotion, I guess, for anybody go. who wants to listen to this. But uh, yeah, um, him and uh, Austin St. John, uh, the original Red Ranger, are going to be at uh, Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. And I just found this out the other day. So. Really cool. I uh, I have an original actual theater poster of the orig- from the original movie um, that I got signed last year by Amy Jo Johnson and Jason David Frank the original Green and Pink Ranger. So I'm gonna, so I'm gonna get a third so- autograph on my poster. Get, <laughs> so I'm excited. Get to finish your collection. Yeah. So uh, really cool. Uh, still got to track down David Yost and uh, can't remember her name, but Karen the Yellow Ranger, uh, Aisha from Mighty Morphin. So. Uh, really excited about that, um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of all I have for Power Rangers. I, I kind of did a lot more looking into some stuff. So there's a few things I learned that I didn't know about, but uh, uh, mostly in Heinz Saban's background and his history, and uh, but, uh, cool. definitely kind of an interesting story of uh, almost rags to riches. He uh, you know was six hundred thousand dollars in debt from his tour promotion business in Israel before he uh, found Power Rangers, and then you know that turned into a big thing. So that's it worked out for him. That's <laughs> so. So, all right. So, what do you? What do you? I think you have. Well, you have one more. Yeah, I've got one first, more. So, okay. what? What is yours? So, so again, not a big crazy scary movie, guy, but okay. So, I had a babysitter when I was really young, who apparently loved loved scary things because he showed me all sorts of scary stuff. And so, my my uh, favorite person is my guess is gonna be my favorite episode, X Files. The X Files is a is an amazing show, and uh, it's it went on for years and years. It, it had a 218 episodes. Um, it it jumped between production companies. It started at um, 1013 Productions and then went to 20, uh, 20th Television and then went to 20th Century Fox. So, so a lot like Power Rangers, yeah, flip flopping hands. Yeah, and whatnot, it went so. all over the place. Uh, and so it's so it's really I love the show. It's it's a it's got a lot of episodes. Really neat show if anybody wants to watch it. They don't all do. They aren't all scary, but they're more um, interesting and weird, mm-hmm. alien esque and monsters. So my favorite episode of the X Files, very first one that I, I don't know if it was the first one that I actually watched. It was the first one I remember watching. So because <laughs> it's the it's the first one that really stuck out. At me. Uh, so the episode is called Hungry. It's it's an episode about a kid who works at a drive-thru restaurant and he eats people's brains. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so so that's it. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> so, well, you ruined it now. Yeah, I know. I ruined the whole, uh, the the whole, whole series. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I can't watch X-Files ever again. So, the, so interesting things about so the, the plot of this episode was that um, they, there was a kid who, who works in this drive-thru and then it starts out this lady um, is going through this um, this drive-through. Actually, I think it's a, a gentleman who goes through a drive-through, and he um, and he's he's shouting through the drive-through at the guy. It's closed already, and so the guy through the drive-through that works there, who's been eating brains, says, "Yeah, pull on up. Yeah, come up to the window. We'll talk about your order. Get up here. Let's do this." And so he drives goes drives up, goes to the drive-through. And then and the alien monster guy pulls him out of his car through the drive-thru 
and eat this book. And I don't, I, honestly, I don't know what attracted me to this episode or why I remember it in any way, shape, or form. But it just, for some reason, it stuck out. Did you just have an innate fear of going to the drive-thru yeah. now? Like, <laughs> yeah. I never, if, if, a, if a restaurant. He's always closed, wearing a helmet. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is my anti brain eating helmet. Exactly. Anytime I'm in a restaurant, I'm going through a drive through at all. Hold on. I got to get my brain, anti brain. Yes, without a doubt. <laughs> no, I absolutely love it. So, um, but it was a really interesting episode. It came out in 1999. Um, and uh, it was. It was really interesting. So this episode, actually, um, normally you're you're watching the the viewer watching with um, two detectives named Mulder and Scully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you seen that clip? I know enough to know who Mulder and Scully. Okay, so you know of Mulder and Scully. Okay, so normally you're watching from essentially their point of view. Well, interesting thing about this episode is you're not watching through their point of view. You're, the entire episode is the point of view of the monster person. So you only see Mulder and Scully when the monster guy Ex- encounters, encounters Mulder and Scully. So it's it's a really interesting concept and a really interesting episode as it does a completely different than a lot of them. So it was, it's, a, it's a really cool um, little thing, and it was very creepy, and it scared me to heck. And but it was it was a really fun episode itself. See, I've never watched much of the X Files. Um, so I mean, it, how long has it been? It was running for a long time because it was it was going strong when I was little. I remember that. Two hundred eighteen episodes. It started in um, nineteen ninety three. Yep. So it was. So yeah, like my parents would let me watch that when I was little. It was, yeah. It was too <laughs> I think scary. I watched this one when I was probably about thirteen years old. Okay. So a little bit later than usual, but yeah, I, I, I never got much into X Files. Um, I don't know, something about it never really caught my eye. I mean, it's basically American Doctor Who, so yeah, in, in a sense, maybe not not as fantastical as Doctor Who can be yeah. sometimes, but but uh, a bit scary, yeah, a little bit more on the horror side of things. Than Doctor Who is so Doctor Who has some pretty terrifying episodes too, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen much Doctor Who, but that's I surprising. Seen... Your wife is British. Oh, I know. Yeah, she's from England. Yeah, I don't. She's not a big Doctor Who fan. I know Ted Lee. <laughs> but no, I've seen a couple episodes. I've been introduced to it from a, by some other friends. Um, but when I was looking for interesting facts, I was looking all over the place for interesting things about the, this particular X Files video episode, and the only thing that I found the whole time was that in one scene when they're looking at a mirror, you can see the reflection of a crew member in the back. That's it. That's all. <laughs> no one else cares yeah. Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Not particularly interesting Easter egg, but Easter eggs. Easter eggs. So IMDb has one guy. You should, you should create your own conspiracy theory about that crew member. Just, just that crew like, like, just for that one episode, just like, you know, everybody created the conspiracy theory about the uh, the guy hanging himself in the background yep. in the yep. Wizard of Oz. Yep. So, like, <laughs> so, like, there you, so go. you just create that one thing. So he's a ghost. He's actually yeah. a ghost. No, he's controlling set. him. The whole time. Oh, 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 oh aliens! Oh. Hey. <laughs> I'll cue that one guy from Ancient Aliens on the channel. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, cool. So I'm done. Last one. It's all of you. What do you got? Uh, well, uh, this is the this one's probably really cliche, but uh. My first favorite book series, um, as I'm an avid reader, and the first thing, the first series that ever kind of caught my eye when I was eight years old uh, was uh, the Harry Potter series, and um, I, I think most people can probably relate to that. I was eight years old and you know looking for things to read and 
things that were a little more challenging than what typical American schools deem as appropriate for eight-year-olds to read. Uh, so I ended up picking Where's up the Harry <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a big thing at that point in time, and my uh, grandparents are Baptists, so you know oh, that was a, that was a fun time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, so uh, but yeah, no, uh, it was definitely kind of a big one, and I I still read it to this day, and I've probably I probably reread it about once a year, if not more, depending because uh, currently I I also own them all on Audible. Uh, for those who don't know what Audible is, it's an audiobook streaming or audiobook service from Am provided by Amazon. Not a fault. Not an, also not a sponsor, but um, uh, uh, that's that's how I get most of my reading these days because I just between work and everything else, I just don't have a whole lot of time. So I listen to books in the morning when I'm getting ready and when I'm driving to work and other things, and uh, that's usually kind of how I get my reading. But um, Harry Potter is definitely a big one that influenced kind of my love for reading and and books. Uh, I assume you've probably read them. Have you okay. read them, yeah, or are you, are you is, just are you just a movie person? This, so is, this is the the uh, thing that I'm going to tell you, Eric, and I tell all of our listeners that I am not a reader. I can count on two hands the number of books I read in my entire life. I'm glad you can count. So this, yeah, there, you got that at, going for I'm you. I'm good at math, but like actual physical books, not that much. I, <laughs> I can straight up tell you, I've I think I've read the first two Harry Potter books. But that's about it. And it's not that I don't like them. I just don't like reading. I've seen them all, <laughs> but that's that's just how I am. So if it's ever a book thing, then it's going to be you. So without a doubt. So. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely one that's kind of been a thing. And I've obviously grown up with it and uh, grew up reading the books. And then the movie started coming about, out, what, what, 2001, I believe? 2001 was the first book, which was about the time I was 9 or 10 years old. So I kind of... I guess in a sense, kind of grew up with the movies, in a sense. Uh, yeah, so when was when was the first one? You got uh, you got it here. Oh, uh, let me look. Okay, here we go. There's a Twitter. Here we go. 1997 was the Nin first published. 90s. Okay, so well, the the book was published. When was the movie released? The book was published there. Uh, movies, media published. Blah blah blah. Uh, here's a book. I want the movie. Harry Potter, Harry Pooter, and the Sorcerer's Stone. Blah, blah, blah. 2001. Oh, whatever. Got it. <laughs> yeah, you got you to you you get better at your Google Foo, man. I need to. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was about, well, nine, ten years old, about that time. So I kind of grew up with the cast about the same rate, I guess, in a sense. I mean, they started when they were 11. And so I grew up watching the movies, reading the books, uh, and just really kind of getting into that world and, I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole a time or two with some of the the theories and stuff like that. I definitely enjoy listening to the Super Carlin Brothers and some other uh, things, um, as well as like uh, Harry Potter folklore on YouTube, Movie Flame, uh, some of the kind of big theory guys. But um, uh, just some kind of fun facts about it. I mean, I think everybody everybody knows what Harry Potter is. If, if Whether you've read the books or not, you know what Harry Potter is. Um, okay, let's <laughs> assume they don't. <laughs> We're assuming they don't? Yeah, I mean, oh, come on. let's assume they have, but let's let's paddle for the outline. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, <laughs> Harry Potter uh, is a wizard. <laughs> He's a wizard. He's a wizard. Uh, this is a tickle. And uh, his parents were murdered by a really bad wizard named Voldemort. <laughs> um, his name must not be so he was an orphan. <laughs> he was raised by his aunt and uncle, who were kind of dicks. Uh, then found out he's a wizard, went to wizard school, and you know had adventures. 
<laughs> so, so r- rough, uh, yeah. a, a rough <laughs> synopsis. But yep, all of it. But it's just kind of some fun things that I that I enjoy. Uh, I've got a few theories here. Um, I don't usually delve into theories on certain things, but on on this on this on this uh, franchise and this uh, world is big enough that there's a lot of stuff. Uh, but one fun fact that I liked um, is I, I think everybody can probably agree that in the fifth book or movie, Professor Umbridge is the best villain in the entire series. She is absolutely sadistic in a different way than Voldemort is sadistic. But um, it's actually interesting. Is also I found, I found this quote. Uh, Stephen King, in an Entertainment Weekly uh, review of The Order of the Phoenix, stated that Umbridge is the best villain since Hannibal Lecter. Wow. Yep. That's really cool. And that's, that's a lot coming from Stephen King. Yeah, and, that's a uh, lot coming from So King. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of just a neat fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but another uh, some theories uh, that I've really enjoyed, some of my favorite theories about the world, is uh, my, my first one I have is that everybody knows how kind of assholeish the Dursleys are to Harry. And it's kind of hard to think, you know, just logically, how families should be, whether or not you're super close to your family or not, I mean, unless they've given you a reason to otherwise. Most families are you know, not as cold and as cruel yeah. as these people are. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite theories is that the reason they are this way is, is because Harry is indeed a Horcrux. And as we've seen throughout the rest of the books, anytime people come into contact with a Horcrux, it amplifies their negative emotions. Yeah. Like in the seventh movie and book, Ron was very affected very, yeah. by the locket and ends up, you know, storming away and leaving. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have clarified that one. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, there's definitely been a multiple instances of people who were in contact with these Horcruxes, you know, experiencing, you know, their negative emotions or amplified thoughts that they maybe wouldn't have had previously are are there so the reason one of the theories is that the reason they're so cruel as cruel as they are is because harry is a horcrux and i mean obviously they don't their their feelings didn't come from nowhere they were definitely anti-magic anyway just because of you know their relationship with petunia's sister lily and you know vernon is the most muggly of muggle ever yeah but uh that's one of my favorite theories another one is uh, that Dumbledore is in fact deaf, and kind of supporting things here is throughout the books, uh, you kind of see Snape, Voldemort, Harry, as their stories go, and they definitely align with the three elder, the three uh, Peverell brothers from the story uh, of the Elder from, of the of the Deathly Hallows, yeah. and uh, where Voldemort is rep- represents the oldest brother who thought he could cheat death and beat it, yeah, and. Uh, and ob- and then eventually was taken down by his arrogance and his, you know, overconfidence in his abilities. Uh, Snape is represented as the middle brother who spent his life pining after a lost love, which eventually, you know, did him in. Well, you got a weird look I'm on your just, face. My mind is getting blown just by you talking about this. I'm just like, oh my god. And then uh, uh, Harry is represented as is, is the is representative of the youngest brother who was cloaked from death. And by the way, the Deathly Hollow was given to him by Dumbledore, who is supposed to be death in this scenario. So death gave him the visibility cloak to go and be untouched by death until he welcomed it gladly. 
Wow. Yep, you see? You see where this is going? Oh, my goodness. And this is actually one that's supported by Rowling herself. She actually uh, responded to this one on Twitter and uh, <laughs> stated that she thinks this fits perfectly. Uh, whether or not she intended it that way, it's, you know, it is a theory, and so it hasn't been confirmed that, that was the intention. But oh she supports goodness. it. So uh, that's, a, that's a fun one. Oh, uh, yeah. And then another one that I really like is that uh, Hermione's cat, Crookshanks, yeah. was actually Harry's cat. Okay. And wow. because the way the way Crookshanks reacts to Scabbers the Rat, who we find out of what's at later point is Peter Pettigrew, uh, the way that she reacts to him and the other part other part of the theory is that uh the way Crookshanks is described in the book, especially with the kind of a lion like tail, is that she, that Crookshanks is actually a measle, which is a magical cross between uh, a cat like a cat and something else but it is a magical cat and they live for longer they're smarter and they you know they have some magical properties so the theory is that ne that Kirchhoff is a measle so that's how she's lived so long and uh, she was actually Harry uh, Lily and James's cat when Harry was a baby so she, the, the cat would obviously recognize Peter and so that's why the cat from the get go is after scatter yeah a measle Magical feline creature related to huh, that's really cool. Yep, that's that's kind of one of my one of my more fun ones, uh, just because of her reaction to to Scabbers. Because it because I mean some people would argue that no, she was getting her information from Sirius because she was because he was communicating with the cat. But um, but no, from the get go, the cat was after Scabbers before they even met the cat. Like, or it's just a cat. I mean, that's 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 how they <laughs> that's how they explain it. It's just but, a cat and a rat. But uh. <laughs> But also, I think another another supporting bit of this theory is just how uh, attached to Sirius the cat was in the third book. The cat almost like, you know, just like the relationship that Crookshanks had with Sirius in dog form. So the cat would know these things just because of how old it is and how much time it is. And needles are smarter than cats, like normal cats. So that's kind of a fun one. <laughs> That is interesting. Yeah, it, it's interesting to think about and just kind of some of the details. I mean, it could be all coincidence, but, um, you know, Rowling has never given us everything in blatant black and white. I mean, a lot of it was there until she revealed stuff later on. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, that's really kind of all I have about Harry Potter. I mean, um, we could I could probably we could probably discuss it more, but yeah, but uh, sure I mean we're but uh, you know, we're kind of already encroaching our time here for the podcast. So, yeah, we are. So, so do you want to go ahead and end it out? Um, yeah, we don't is, we don't have an outro yet, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, let's try this. Uh, this has been all things nerd uh, with Charles and Eric, and uh, we have enjoyed uh, sitting here talking to you guys about our favorite firsts, so we hope you guys have a wonderful day, and uh, stay nerdy.